The Shy and Mighty podcast is on a softly spoken mission to help shy people be more mighty. Shy people don't need fixing. We don't need to change who we are. But in a world filled with noise and hot air, it's time for us to speak up and stop hiding. Hello and welcome to Shy and Mighty with me, Nadia Finer and... Today I'm joined by um, a truly inspirational woman. Caroline Thwaites is here to tell us about the charity that she's founded and how having a purpose has helped her to overcome feelings of um, self-doubt and imposter syndrome. So welcome to the show, Caroline. Thank you. And um, I was thinking, rather than me doing a really hash job at explaining <laughs> <laughs> your, what Harry's hat is all about, I would pass it over to you to, to do it justice. So we founded a charity called Harry's Hat, which stands for Hydrocephalus Awareness Trust. Um, for everyone who doesn't know what hydrocephalus is, and I certainly didn't until it crashed into our lives, it means water on the brain. And my little boy, Harry, who's our fourth child, was born with hydrocephalus. Throughout the pregnancy, I was a little bit like, I'm like this is my fourth, I don't feel right. And everyone's like, you're just an older, anxious mother, which was quite hard to be told that in the same point. But I just had this feeling that it wasn't quite right. And at 36 weeks, a routine scan, um, we were pushing to find out which way the baby was lying. And they did a routine scan at the local hospital. And we were told that there was a loss of brain component, which as you can imagine, was probably pretty devastating. They didn't know oh my what, God. I know. They didn't know what they were looking at. They, they'd never seen it before on the scan. And that very day we were referred up to a specialist hospital after what felt like an entire lifetime. Um, they told us it was an arachnoid cyst um, and that was taking up a quarter of our baby's brain. And Basically, um, we should prepare for a very, very long time in a special care in a specialist hospital if, in fact, we were lucky enough to get to that point. So Harry was born oh. two weeks later on a Monday. I now know that if they're really worried about you, you have surgery on a Monday or your baby does. So we were born. He was born there. There was a huge team. They had to coordinate it to make sure that there was an intensive care team and a neonatal intensive care resus bed next to him. Um, Harry came out pink and screaming and everyone looked at each other and went, oh, OK. And instead of being there for um, weeks and weeks and weeks, if we were lucky enough to be there, we were discharged in five days. Go home, enjoy our miracle baby and get on with life. But basically, we'll keep an eye on him. And to cut a long story short, two weeks later, we went back. It was very obvious by then um, that he... He could hit a scream, a kind of pitch that it's really, really hard to describe. Um, having had three other babies, it's nothing I've ever heard before. And he was obviously in distress. And they measured his head and they realised that his head was growing and it was growing very rapidly, which is a sign of hydrocephalus, which means that's water in his brain, basically. And it kept growing. So by the time he was eight weeks, they put a shunt in his brain and the shunt is basically it relieves the pressure and the fluid from his brain. And it's what keeps him alive. Unfortunately, 
as in 50% of cases, the shunt failed. So by the time he had reached his first birthday, he'd already had four major neurosurgeries and lots and lots of trips in uh, to the hospital and lots of blue lights and all sorts of drama, really. But he's still here and he's bright and he's bubbly and he's ridiculously naughty, which is great. And how old is he now? He's two. So he's just learned how to say all the words that we really don't want him to say. (laughs) (laughs) He's meeting all his targets, which is amazing. Um, But the condition is life threatening. And if the shunt blocks, he needs to be in neurosurgery within four hours. And unbeknown, we knew nothing about hydrocephalus. Please don't Google it. I don't suggest anyone ever does. It's when I did, it's very, very scary. And um, but what we found was that there was there's not a lot of research going on about it at the moment. And the shunt, which is a device that keeps Harry and thousands of children like him alive, was actually first invented in the 60s, um, along with the author Roald Dahl, as his own child was really hurt in a car accident. And they basically came up with the idea of a shunt quickly as a way of trying to save his child and the technology hasn't moved on that much since then so shunts block in about 50% of cases within the first year of insertion that was certainly the case for Harry we also found that a lot of lovely lovely medical staff don't know that much about hydrocephalus because when you've got a child with a condition despite the fact that it affects one child in every thousand in the UK it's often the specialist hospitals that deal will deal with your child. But when your child is really poorly, you go to the local hospital to then be transferred to the specialist hospital. And yeah. so we came into contact with lots of frontline health workers who really want to know more, but they can't really access the training because, as we all know, the NHS is struggling for money. We kind of built up a picture of all the things that needed to happen. We had a couple of people who measured Harry's head and basically, when you have a child with a condition like hydrocephalus, you measure their head weekly to look for fluid growth. You'll be really surprised to know that they're measured with tape measures that look a little bit like the freebie you get in Ikea. And that <laughs> is really, I found that really, really traumatic. And obviously, if people aren't taught properly or haven't got the time to measure it properly, the difference can, can be really, it's really serious. You need to know and, and that needs to be recorded, obviously, in an exact measurement. At what point did you, um, you've, you know, you've experienced this traumatic, um, difficult time with Harry, your 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 hands are very full you've already got three kids and now Harry's here with additional needs Mm. at what point did you decide that you were going to try and change um, the the system that you were going to try and improve things well I work for charity in my day job and I've always worked for charities May, uh, currently, I work for a rape and sexual abuse charity, but I've worked in domestic violence and in children's charities, but always very much doing the fundraising. I'm not particularly keen on my photo. I'm not particularly keen on, on, on talking very huge amount about me, but I knew that I had the skills to do it. And so when we talked to nurses, we talked to lots of frontline professionals, um, we found out how much they were struggling to get the training, but how much they wanted it and and basically I I knew I had the skills and I want to keep my baby here so you know if I'm very honest our first 
reason for doing it was a selfish reason because we wanted to make life better for Harry. But we set up an Instagram account. And what we found through that was people all across the UK were contacting us um, with stories very similar. They have a child that looks to all intents and purposes, like a really well little boy. In fact, Harry looks like a poster pin-up boy yeah. for Bowdoin. Yes. He looks amazingly well and and, and, and cheeky and, and healthy. And, you know, nobody would even know there was any issue. Um, and I think for me, one of the things was I went to a local toddler group and I don't like, you know, I've, I've got my close friends. I don't particularly like going to these things on my own. I think it's just the way I am and I don't like clicky groups and one of the little kids came up and not long after Harry had had surgery and nearly clobbered him over the head of course I screamed picked him up and was like really really anxious and I overheard the mum saying oh look at that anxious older mother didn't like that either And then, you know, I I blurted out that he just had brain surgery. To be fair, she looked absolutely horrified. But I realised, you know, it's not just me that's isolated with this. It's lots of people across the the UK and people really don't understand the condition. And, you know, they sort of think that you're being a bit when he's running around, you know, (laughs) looking really robust and, and, and really naughty. It can seem a little bit strange. So it was a sort of combination of things, really. But knowing that I also had the skills and the contacts, I suppose, to 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 really, really do this. Um, I'm one of those people that if I do something, um, I, I do it full, full pound. Yeah, no, I can imagine. And also it's so important. So I think having that, the purpose, having um, obviously the personal, re- we'll call them personal reasons mm. rather than selfish reasons. Yes, maybe. <laughs> At various points, have you questioned your ability, not your ability, but perhaps your your qualification or your um, your skills in order to achieve what you've set out to achieve? I think I haven't really questioned my fundraising skills because I can do that um, and other people tell me I can do that. I've got gongs to show it. But what I have questioned is how we're perceived. I sometimes worry we we do a lot of social media and the the aim for doing that is to raise awareness of the charity but for some of that we document Harry's journey and I've never been very good at kind of showing my own feelings we've started to write a blog or we I write a blog and I I worry that people will think that's quite self-indulgent and that we're almost showing off and I I you know I it, it also exposes you very much you're I'm very good, I guess, at asking for money for other causes, but this is so deeply personal. So when somebody doesn't support it or doesn't seem to get as involved as I think perhaps they should or or, or could do, it can feel quite hurtful, to be honest. Mm. Yeah, of course. I think because it's so close to your heart and you you just want everybody to, <laughs> to be as passionate about it as you are. And I think yes. when you do something, it is personal it does feel like it feels like an affront like they're insulting you directly you've mentioned social media a few times do you think that um how do you think that the that social media has um helped you or kind of affected you as a person um when you have this big mission 
I think it's done two things. We wouldn't be here without it. And one of the sort of turning points for us for deciding to go ahead with the charity was after we'd set the Instagram account and we got lots of people contacting us, sharing their own story. So it was a real motivation and it was kind of reinforcing the fact to us that there was a need to do this. However, we're putting out a lot about our own children and how this affects them. And I do find I'm I'm a grown up, but I'm still like, oh, nobody, you know, I put something out the other day, which I thought everyone would love and it didn't get very many likes. And I couldn't believe that as a 40 year old lady, I was like, oh, how dare nobody like this? And it, I think it <laughs> makes you kind of question yourself a little bit. I don't think it's all that healthy, but I think without it, we couldn't have grown the charity as quickly as we have. Yeah, I I, I... I think I get that the when you put something out there and it doesn't get the recognition that you think it should it could just be that you posted it at a funny time of day or that there was something else going on where people were preoccupied even like an episode of Love Island or something where everyone's busy or doing something else but you start to question yourself and you mentioned that you sometimes ask yourself oh do they think this or do they think that? Are they judging me? Would you say that you get a lot of those kind of thoughts running through your mind where you're kind of second guessing how people are feeling towards you? I think if you talk to lots of parents where the children have additional need, there's always somebody better, but there's always somebody in a worse position than you. So you actually get these feelings of guilt Harry has a life-threatening condition and it's not classed as life-limiting. So in the scale of hierarchy, sometimes I feel, gosh, we're, take, we're talking about this, this poor family down the road, they've just lost their child or their child's, you know, fighting for their life in intensive care. So we're doing this and it, and it is, it's really difficult. And I think that's sometimes due to your own self-confidence. And also, I often look at it from Harry's point of view. He's Harry, our little boy. We don't want him always to be seen as defined as Harry hydrocephalus. So I worry about how this will what this will do to him in the long term. And actually, we've got an amazing board of trustees who give their time voluntarily to, to help the charity. And they're very mindful that in the long term, we'll make the charity much more about the condition rather than our journey. Yeah, I think, yeah, I I understand that. And I think that Harry, well, Harry, when he gets older, he's going to be so proud of everything that you've achieved, isn't he? And I think rather than seeing it as, um, you know, being too personal for him, I think he's going to be amazed at what you guys have done for him, but also for awareness of the illness um, on a wider scale. Yeah. So, I mean, the condition affects one in every thousand children. And, you know, our basic aim is to improve the life chances and the lives of those children and the parents who and families who love and care for them. And hopefully as he gets older, he will he will realise why we've done it and he'll support that. He's a little monkey at the moment. We're a (laughs) one of Waitrose chosen charities, which means putting the green token in the there's three boxes. And he's now yeah. refusing to put it in the Harry's hydrocephalus awareness box. He's putting it in the one next to it. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, the kids are hilarious. Yeah, he is, he is a hilarious. You know, 
Nude, it's your charity. You've got to pay. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, it's like when didn't you know when a celebrity who say is sponsored by like um you know wait say they're sponsored by Waitrose and then they're spotted shopping in Tesco's and everyone goes crazy. You think just support the thing, the yeah. thing you're supposed to support. Absolutely, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's um, but you know he our aim is 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 to make sure this is about the condition it's to improve um awareness it's to improve research it's to give access for training and ultimately it's to connect families like ours so longer longer term harry's name will be there but it won't just be about harry's journey and do you feel like have you had to do things beyond your comfort zone um any kind of really scary um, moments that you've had to kind of push yourself beyond your your comfort zone? Absolutely. I'm still one of these people that if I've got a good point to raise in a conference or something, I hate putting my hand up. And sometimes I know that I've got something useful to say, but the thought of actually having to say it in front of lots of people is it just makes my tummy go. Um, I will do it, but I, I, I don't enjoy doing it and I think um with Harry's Hydrocephalus Awareness Trust I'm so passionate about what we're trying to do so I've had to push myself to if I see if fundraising is all about going into a room and if you've there's a high there's somebody in that room that can further your cause you want to connect with them and because I'm so passionate about what we're doing I'm I'm quite confident to walk up to them and say you know this is me um this is this is the story and this this is what we're trying to do but it doesn't come easy I'm not you know it still makes my tummy get it still makes me feel uncomfortable I get the sweaty palms and all that sort of thing and how and do you have a, a kind of word with yourself what do you do in that moment to overcome that flippy tummy feeling I try to tell myself how rubbish I'll feel if I don't take that opportunity. Um, it doesn't always work, but I try to put myself in five minutes time. That opportunity has passed and fundraising is often about that, that there right at the moment opportunity. How am I going to feel if I walk out of this room and I haven't talked to the person that I want to talk to? Yeah, that's a good way of looking at it, isn't it? Because there's a cost, isn't there? Yes. If you don't if you don't do it, literally for you guys, there's a financial cost and a life cost yes. to people who you're not helping. Yes. So it's about pushing yourself. Absolutely. And I think it's because it's my son that's fronting the organisation. I can feel like I'm doing it for him. So it does make you braver. But I yeah. wouldn't say it's anything I'm particularly comfortable doing. Has it got easier over time the more you've done it? Yes, it has, because the highs of doing it and getting to speak to that right person, the decision maker, the person that can further it, that that is a reward. So I focus on that as a reward. So yes, yes, it does. Um, but I know quite soon we've got to go and talk to lots of people uh, who work in health um, who work at senior level about what we're doing um you know it took me ages to be able to spell hydrocephalus and and now the fact that we we we've got to almost talk and people are thinking that we're experts and um I guess that's that imposter syndrome coming in isn't it you you know that the people in the room are much more qualified in that area 
but I'm probably the most qualified in fundraising. So it's just trying to um, hold my nerve, I guess. And I guess as well, it's about accepting that, you know, you're not a doctor, so you're not saying you're a doctor. um, And no one's expecting you to actually be a doctor there. But the fact is you've drawn um, attention to the condition and you've become an expert in your field insofar as you're talking about it and bringing people together and um, looking at what could be done to improve um, the process and the way it's handled. So in that case, you are an expert. So um, do you try and sort of reframe um, your area of expertise, if you like, rather than um, questioning your medical <laughs> credentials? No, but how, I will now because you've just summed it up really well. There you go. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> I think yeah, you're right. I think it's about coming in and actually we are an expert in terms of the parent journey and our experience and what's worked and what hasn't worked and see what it's like to care for a child with this condition as well as the impact it has on his siblings and and the wider family and everything else as well exactly I think when you're when you get those feelings of imposter syndrome but you're pushing yourself forwards and you are you have a point of view um it could be that you're not necessarily um like you like we were saying you're not necessarily medically trained or it might be that you're not the most qualified person on a subject but there'll be an area of that subject that you are and it could be that you perhaps um are an expert because you've curated um a whole bunch of information or it could be that you're an expert because you've done a bunch of research and gathered opinions from a different group of people Mm. that no one's speaking to I mean there's always there's always a thing that you are best placed to do and it, it might even be um that you're best placed because you're um, you have a personal experience or story to tell and from that point of view you're really good at raising awareness or drawing people to you so um, I think often when we get imposter syndrome we start looking perhaps at the number of certificates or qualifications or degrees that we have in a subject and there's so many other ways to be an expert that are not necessarily about um, the qualifications I think you're you're right. Um, in my day job, I've I've won a few awards for fundraising. I'm I'm quite a good grant fundraiser, which means I write lots of applications and I can tell a compelling story. But in terms of my work, or my um, obviously none of us get paid for our work with um, the charity. But in terms of my work for you know Harry's Hydro Carefulness Awareness Trust it's not so much about the awards or the accolades it's it's we've got a good story to tell and and we we've got lived experience and I guess that counts for a lot it's just when you go into a group of yeah I do still find I go into a group of high-ranking professionals and I find myself dropping in the odd award I've had rather than actually I'm here on my own merit and and the experience that that we've got and the fact that we're in a position where people will talk to us because we we've gone through the 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 situation and other people have as well that is such an important point that you become a spokesperson for your subject Mm. um because of your story and because of your personal experiences you're bringing um 
the conversation to the fore Mm. and people are happy to come and talk to you and share their experiences and no number of medical degrees is going to (laughs) necessarily enable that to happen (laughs) so I think there's when you're feeling those kind of imposter imposter syndrome feelings um it's important to remember where your actual expertise lies and the reason why you're in the room um, as opposed to comparing yourself to other people and their um, their reasons for being in the room. We've, we've all got different things that we bring and, you know, you can see how just by looking at it through a different lens, you can, um, you suddenly think, yes, you know, I do deserve to be here. And it sounds like you've done such an amazing job with... Um, raising awareness of hydrocephalus see I said it you did well done (laughs) Um, and I'm I mean uh, to be honest it's an it's an honor for me to talk to you and um, you're an absolute inspiration I the fact that you've managed to turn something so challenging and difficult that's happened to you and your family and um, you know whereas many people would just um, carry on um, looking inwards and um, you know ha- being at home and and kind of um, living their lives you've decided to dedicate so much energy and effort to actually helping um, other people as well I think it's absolutely amazing and the fact that you've pushed yourself um, to be in the room and have an opinion and put your hand up and have those challenging conversations and approach all those people I think it's um, amazing so I was so glad when you contacted me on Twitter because I just thought yes what's your plan now like what's next for the charity um, what are your, your the next kind of big challenging um, goals for you guys well we've just funded um a cohort of nurses to undertake further training about hydrocephalus um one of the things we really want to do is be easy for people who want to learn more who are working in healthcare we haven't got loads of forms we're not we don't put them through lots we just say we they have to fill out a, basically a one page of showing us how that learning would improve the outcome for the patients that they and the families that they're working with. So how they're going to take that knowledge back to their hospital, and how they're going to share it. Um, and we will then fund them to go to things where they can talk to other people working in the field and they can enhance the knowledge that they've already got, which ultimately helps children like Harry. In the long, long term, we want to fund research. That's our long term goal. In the short term, we want to raise awareness. Um, we say that we we run the charity through awareness, research and support. And, and that's that's really what we're doing. Everybody who's involved gives us time voluntarily. So we've got a lovely board of trustees and we're really lucky on the board. We've got people with charity experience as well, as well as governance and um, accountancy and legal experience. So I've got a really strong board of people behind us that are really helping to push it forward. And, you know, our our main goal at the moment is to fundraise to enable us to to do what we want to do and and ultimately make life better for children like our little Harry. Yes. And if we if listening to this has inspired you to to help or to get involved or to give some money, where should we go? How do we do that? So you can contact us on Twitter, which is Harry's H.A.T. 5. And you can 
get hold of us on Instagram, which is Harry's underscore hat underscore charity, or on Facebook, which is Harry's Hat Trust. Perfect. And I'll put all the links in the the notes as well so that you can click through directly. But thank you so much for joining us and for telling us about Harry's hat and obviously about Harry <laughs> and sharing your story with us. And I'm, I mean, I just feel like having a purpose and having something that you believe in so strongly has um, really enabled you to achieve um magnificent things so (laughs) keep on doing what you're doing and um continuing to raise awareness of hydrocephalus and um thank you for for spending your time chatting to us it's a pleasure thank you for having me and do come back again soon for another episode of shine mighty where we'll have another fabulous guest i'll see you soon bye bye The Shine Mighty Society is a safe place for shy people to shine. Learn specific techniques to help you improve your confidence and overcome limiting beliefs. Make quiet connections with people just like you. Coaching, support and encouragement to coax you out of the shadows and help you reach your goals. Head over to shinemighty.com to find out more.